Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And just a very, very glad to be able to do so, Lord, and to be able to journey with these men and women as we learn more about you and more about how we are to respond to you and how this relationship should be. And, and God, I'm just, I'm so thankful for this opportunity and we just pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So our theme in this text is the race. Oh, maybe if someone wants to come in here, come on in, come on in. So the race, and I am, I am not a racer, although some of you may argue that I am. Um, I have done, uh, I've done plenty of 5Ks, but most of my 5Ks are on the treadmill. I kind of just hold on to the rail, on the little handlebar rail things. And yeah, but I have done some 5Ks. I've done two or three 5Ks live and out on the streets and they are, um, they're, they're lovely. And so I am more of a racer than you might think I am, but I am not at all a runner, a racer, or what have you. But I'm just going to try to keep that theme going this whole time because our text today starts with that. Okay, so we ended last week with kind of like this, this or the two weeks ago in Hebrews with, you know, this, this kind of Hall of Fame chapter of, of faith, all these heroes of the faith, all these people who did all these things, what was faith, what, what did their lives look like, what kind of choices and, and dilemmas did they face, and, and then, yeah, and then it kind of just comes, brings to a close, and now we come to our first three verses here in Hebrews 12, therefore, whenever you read a therefore in the Bible, back up a little bit, see what he'd been talking about, okay, if you're having a conversation with somebody and their opening move is, therefore, that wouldn't make any sense. You'd say, well, therefore, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? What do you mean, therefore? Or Okay, so therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So right away, remember our three students, the yeah, but, the weary, and the clay. Right away, he's talking to the weary. Hey, I get it. You're going through a lot. But there's hope. We don't. The end goal is not to be the weary. The end goal is to be the clay. We'll talk more about those three students towards the end. But yeah, this great cloud of witnesses. And it's really easy to go, who's that? Who's up there? Is that angels? Are those our loved ones? Are those the people? So who, who in the world is that? Well, in the context, the context is all the people we were talking about in Hebrews 11. All these great faithful ones who have died and who have already lived lives of faith. And they were dead. By the time this chapter was written, that's the immediate context. Could you also include others who have died? Sure. I mean, it, it wouldn't be bad. It, it would be just a group, the ones who are waiting for us, the ones who have already finished their journey, and we're still taking our, they've already run their race, to use the analogy here, and we're still running ours. So they are, I want you to picture, you might notice this if you remember from the Olympics, they used to have the great marathon race. And how does the marathon end? It ends, 
at least it used to. If it doesn't do that anymore, then we don't shame on me. But it ends with a lap around the track, the big, huge stadium. You're running all about town. And the very end of the marathon race is a lap around the track. Okay. And it's a great experience. And everyone is there cheering. And it's just wonderful. Yeah. They're all in the stands and they're seeing people finishing their race. That's the image we have here. That's that great cloud of witnesses running that race. So the witnesses testify. That's what witnesses do. If you were ever, you know, you've, you've all seen a courtroom drama or you've seen, so you, you have witnesses come in. What do witnesses do? They offer testimony. Well, what is the testimony of this great cloud of witnesses? The testimony is the life of faith is possible. You can run this race. Now, you're not doing it in your own power. You're not obeying God as if you're the one who's able to do it. No, you're not. You require the Holy Spirit to enable you to become more like Jesus. This is not about you and you and you. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's why he's saying here, your eyes are fixed on him. The life. So if some of you say, well, it's just impossible to be a Christian. Don't you understand the world I'm living in? No, it's not impossible. God predestined you. He called you. He's the one who is faithful. He's the one who will preserve you to the end. So the witnesses testify. Now, how are we to run? Well, you're not going to go out and run in a bathrobe where you got the, you know, the, the, um, the things, the things you tie, the sash is all flopping everywhere. It's dragging on the floor. You're not going to go out and run in something that's going to be flowing. You're going to, you know, tighten it all up. Okay. A lot of people run their races. They wear like spandex shorts or biker shorts or something like that. They something very tight. That's not going to be flowing around. You're not going to have to sit there and pull it up every five minutes, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. That is you, you run, you, you don't want your clothing to get in the way when you run. That's the last thing you want. So he's talking about here, there's things that hinder you in your race and they need to be gone. They will hinder your race. They're not good for you. Throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that's so easily entangled. You can imagine me, I would get out there running and, and I, I sometimes get two left feet. Then all of a sudden I go, I go head over heels and I'm on the ground. And that's just that you're running this race called life. And yeah, there's things in your life that don't need to be there. And there's sins in your life that you're holding on to that you don't need to be holding on to. And that's our great challenge. That's really what's going to come down to for the Yabba. The Yabba's going to say, whatever. The weary is going to say, I'm trying. And it's just too hard. And the clay is going to say, yeah, that's right. Let's get started. What needs to stop and what needs to start? And then let's get on it. So the witnesses testify as they watch our race here, as they witness our race, how we are to run and where our focus should be. I remember when I was doing that 5K, if it was a big straight line, it'd be easier. The 5Ks I've done, I've been kind of through town. And so I, I kind of knew where the end line was, the finish line. But when I got to that last mile, you know, 5K is 3.11. When I got to that last mile, I was so focused on that finish line. I would just, I could not stop thinking about it. I'm like, it's just a little bit farther, just a little bit farther, just a little bit farther. I got this. I got to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I, and I was such a horror. My first 5K was so horrible that I literally had someone on my right and someone on my left and my arms were over them. 
and they were kind of, you know, getting me to the finish line. Another 5K, I was pushing a stroller full of like 80 pounds of barbells because I liked that. That was good for me to put my weight on and to be able to push. And I'm like hanging on for dear life to try to get to the end of this. But the finish line, my focus was like laser beams. Gotta make the finish. In fact, I had one 5K where I literally fell down on the track and right in, right in front of a track volunteer. And they had to call an ambulance and they came out and checked me out. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm going to make the end of this race. I'm going to do it, sir. We, we, we want you to go to the hospital. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to finish this race. And they literally followed me. The, 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 the fire truck ambulance followed me on the track as I finished my race to make sure they're like, well, I'm not going to have this big guy fall down again. Heck no. So they literally crawled behind me till I finished. It's kind of a cool, I couldn't find the picture. I should have. I'll use it for another illustration sometime. But it's like, I was so focused on that finish line. Now here, fix your eyes on that finish line, on Jesus. And the beauty of this is that we kind of get the impression that Jesus, using my example, it's like, I'm leaning on him to finish my race. And he's also at the finish line as I finish my race. Kind of a cool thing here. Where God's not expecting you just to run this race alone. No, he's with you. Emmanuel, God with us. The blessing of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. And he's waiting for us at the end as well. That's kind of cool. That's where our focus should be. Training. Oh, yes. My first 5K, I did the Couch to 5K app because I have an advanced master's degree in, the, in couch. But we don't want that. We don't want, we don't want advanced degrees in couch. You're never going to do that 5K if you're always on the couch. Okay, so couch to 5K. They assume when you start that you suck and that you, you can't do anything. You're like, I, I can't hardly run at all. Well, they assume that because you were on the couch. Okay, training, 4 to 13. Here we go. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Interesting. I remember that verse. It's only happened once in my pastoral life. Um, I got up to preach a sermon, and all of a sudden, as I was preaching, I got a really odd, bloody nose, and it started to drip. And here's the irony with that. I had just worn a brand new dress shirt that day because back in the shirt and tie days of my life. And the shirt was an odd color for a dress shirt, but it worked. It was like crimson. It was like this really, really dark red. And I, all of a sudden I, I'm getting ready to preach and all, I'm feeling that, 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 that feeling when, when, when you know the bad feeling when something's dripping inside your nose and it feels heavier than normal. And you know that feeling. We're like, okay, what is this going to be? And all of a sudden, drip right on my shirt. It missed my tie, thankfully. I don't know how, but it did. And it hit my shirt. I'm looking down going, oh, my goodness. Of all the days, I have a bloody nose. So I just said, okay, I, I remember calling up the worship leaders. Okay, I'm going to run to my office real quick. I, I got to go, you know, do something with my nose. And then, and yeah, this is yeah, this is not the bridge. This is my, back when I was at Prospect Christian Church. And so, yeah, and so I ran back to my office and I'm like trying to get things stopped up or whatnot. I said, okay, come up and sing a song or just do something. I got to run away. And what happened while I was back there? This verse came to mind. You have not, in your struggle against it, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, I, I took it out of context. And in my moment there with my bloody nose, I'm thinking, oh, I just shed blood. In fact, I came back and I quoted that verse and it got a few laughs. But that's taking out of context because this is your struggle against sin. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father and addresses his son? It says, my, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. 
because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Or daughter, this is not just guys here. Endure hardship as discipline. Mic drop right there. Boom. My life is hard. I'm going through this hardness. Pay attention. My life is really hard. Yes, it is. Pay attention. Here's a possible answer here. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Well, oh, God wouldn't do that. Is God sovereign? Is not God sovereign? God is sovereign. Since God is sovereign, is there any part of your life that's outside of his control? No. That means what you're going through is something that he has already decreed. Yes. So could this hardship you're going through have an ultimate plan in place for your good? I hope so. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Ooh. Ooh, he went there, didn't he? Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Now, if you're sitting here going, I didn't have a father who disciplined me, you got to understand he's writing in the Roman world where the father was everything. That head of the household, a very patriarchal society, that if you didn't have a father, you had a father figure step in because it was a necessity. Okay, I'm just saying. So he's writing to people who'd all be going, well, yeah, 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 we understand. We've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we, for, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Wow. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Trained by it. Yes. You got to run this race. You got to be trained to run this race. You're getting your training as you run this race. Therefore, Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather heal. What in the world? Well, you're, first of all, you're at your struggle. I like to say this. I hear so many times, oh, I'm struggling with this. Oh, it's just my cross to bear. Are you struggling? That's the question. Because if you're struggling, there should be a struggle. And if there's not a struggle, I don't think you're struggling. I think you're more accepting. No, this is my reality. I'm just only human. No, in your struggle against sin, this implies you are struggling against your sin. You're not just taking it. You're not just saying, well, this is just me. And all oh, this is the, the, the kind of person I am. And we're all sinners. And blah. No, you're struggling. You're pushing back. You're not circling back. You're pushing back. That's what struggle is. And in your struggle against sin, you haven't shed blood. How do I know that? Because you didn't die on the cross for, to pay the penalty for your sins, did you? No, I didn't. Jesus did. Aha, that's the point. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, better to struggle with sin than to yield to it. Yeah, struggle against sin. Amen. But just remember, if you say you struggle against sin... It means you're struggling. 
you're actually contending with it. You're fighting against it. You're, you're not just like letting it just wash over you. That's not much of a struggle. If you're going to say you struggle, struggle. It's like can contend with that sin. I mean, don't just sit there and just, just let it win. And just sit there and just, okay, well, I just, you know, just, I just give up. I'm never going to turn to God with this because, you know, I'm never going to win. I fought this for too long and now I just give up now. No, that's the weary talking. And that's almost the yeah, but talking. That's not to be you. Okay. It's not to be me either. Okay. I'm part of this as well. So that's our struggle. Discipline. Discipline is not punishment. If the only discipline you've ever received is punishment, you have not been disciplined. Discipline, think discipline. I know when you have you know, parents and children or whatnot, we've all been punished as a kid. And okay, there is an element of punishment to discipline. I get it. But that's not the only element. And that's not the element here for Paul, for, for, Paul, for the author of Hebrews. It's like, think training. Okay, training. I've got something I do with, with my kids when I drop them off at school. Okay, I'm not perfect at it. Okay, but I've been starting to do it. And, and I've been doing it for a while, but I started the second part. The first thing I do when I drop them off, we have, we have a school prayer. And I do it with, with my son. We get the certain street by his school. We start, we turn to that corner. Okay, it's school prayer time. All conversation stops. Here's the prayer. God, please watch over him or when it's my daughter and her street, her. Okay, help them to listen to their teachers, to make good decisions, and to be a good friend. So, dinner table. Here's what I've started to do. Finally, I should have made this decision a long ago, but here's what I'm doing now. Son, remember our morning prayer? Same prayer every morning. What was the time today where you made a good decision? What was the time today you listened to your teacher? What was the moment today when you were a good friend? And they get them to talk about their day. You see, that's discipline. Discipline is training. And when you're running a race, it may feel like punishment. But what, what was it? Was it, a, was it Tom Landry, the old coach of the Cowboys, said a coach's role is to get men to do the things they don't want to do, to get them to achieve the things they want to achieve. That's what a coach's role. That's an NFL coach. A father disciplines a child. And sometimes it takes the form of punishment, boundaries. But training, training for life. Good text here, Mick. Punishment is, is a consequence. I think it is. I don't, I don't know who this text is. I can't see. Um, uh, who's this text? I want to make sure I've got it right. Uh, regardless, I, I can't tell who it is here. But punishment is a consequence. Discipline is preparation for life. Nice. Uh, Daniel texts in, guard your heart. And in your life, do not let the enemy take control of any part. Okay. Yeah, it takes training to do that. You're right. Uh, Sandy, the goal of God's discipline is righteousness and peace. It's always motivated, motivated by his love for us. Amen. I love that. And training in order that we may share in his holiness. Wow. But God's so mean. I'm going through this season and I'm, it's like, oh, you, we all turn into bitter Naomi. No, God is training you. You are not an illegitimate daughter or son. The fact that you're going through this in your life means that God is disciplining you. You are a legitimate son or daughter of the king. The fact that you're going through 
this. Wow. All of a sudden, life has now changed. You're going through something horrible. You don't like what you're going through. Who likes to be disciplined? But this is for your benefit. Yeah, it's a great, great. The process of cleansing isn't ever a pleasant one. However, you will find yourself better off once it's done. I sometimes forget the Lord's discipline is a sign that he sees me as his child. That's exactly what Hebrews is talking about here. Endure hardship as discipline. Huge, huge, life-changing, huge. That's your training. What about self and influence? Well, this last, this last verse here is kind of, uh, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Okay, he's just talking to you. There's something about you that needs to change as you're training. And then make level paths for your feet, still you, so that the lame may not be disabled, rather heal. So others. So you have yourself and you have those that you have influence over. As you run this race, God has equipped you to run. So run and run a certain way. And he's also given you influence. As you influence others, encourage them in their race. 14 to 17, boundaries. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. So what are some boundaries? The first boundary is, as you run your race, running a race obviously has boundaries, Okay. We've all heard the funny stories about somebody's running the Boston Marathon and, 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 and their little chips and their little, they have a special like GPS chip or something in their, their bib they wear that says where they're going and tracks their time. And so if they show up with a world record pace and they look like me, that means they took a cab, okay? It just doesn't happen. And so a certain boundary to running a race is you actually run the race. You don't just go off, off kilter and go that way, hither and yon or whatnot. You actually run the race. You stay within the boundary lines and you run. You also, you do it. Other people don't do it for you. So for example, I don't hop into a wheelchair and have an experienced runner push me in that wheelchair to cross the finish line. That's not me really running a race. Yes, I accomplish the distance, but I'm not accomplishing anything. There are certain boundaries you have when you do a race. Here's the, here's the boundaries in Hebrews here. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Wow. What are the things you make every effort to do? Just pause right now and think. I bet you make every effort for things like comfort. Okay? For things like security. For things like peace. Peace would be the one I can't use because it's here, right here. I know. I just went on a trip with my family. And I was purchasing tickets and reserving hotel rooms and making sure we had this and we had that gas in the car oil change all that i made every effort to make sure this trip happened what do you make every effort to do what is that important in your life that requires all of you is this something of god i don't know think about that for a second here make every effort to live in peace with everyone 
as Romans have put it, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. That's Romans 12. Sometimes it doesn't depend upon you. Sometimes the other person won't forgive you and will never let it go and always leaves the embers in the fire burning ready to ignite at a moment's notice. As far as it depends upon you, on your end of things, if you want to put it, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. That's a cool thing about Jesus. Every relationship he had was ended well. Every single relationship he had ended appropriately. There was nothing left in the account. Every single one that was a relationship with him, be it a friendship or discipleship, men or women, didn't matter. There was nothing. He didn't have to offer any amends to anybody. Every relationship ended well. Wow. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Do you make efforts at your holiness? Well, Joel, you just said that, that, that God is the one in the driver. You just said that I don't have the power within me. It's true. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. You don't have the power on your own to choose Jesus. I know that. That's Ephesians 2. You were dead in your transgressions and sin, but God breathed life into the corpse that is you. It's like on your own, you will never do it. But now that you are a Christian, now that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, now that you have a spiritual tree with fruit hanging off those branches, you still have efforts you go about. That's the thing about sanctification. It has, it, it, it's like the one part of our salvation that God allows us to partner with. Progressive sanctification, you becoming less like you and more like Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and you are in a partnership where he is the one who equips you and, and, and enables you to do the work, and you need to be faithful. Yeah. Do you make every effort? That's huge. Huge. What do you make efforts for in life? That's a natural boundary. Holy versus immoral. What in the world? See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up. Oh, bitterness. Bitterness is, is anger that's allowed to ferment like a fine wine, but actually a box of wine, horrible wine, like a really bad skanky beer. That's, that's the fermentation of a bitter root. This hatred that just turns inward, then turns upward. I hate you, God. I hate you. I hate you. It's like a bitter person refuses to forgive. It's like you drinking a poison and expecting the other person to die. No, you're going to die if you drink a poison. Don't drink a poison. That's bitterness. Bitter, bitter. Don't have a bitter root. That bitterness root will just eat you alive from the inside. Mm. That's where we get this. It's from Hebrews 12. No bitter root crawls and grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Then he goes to sexual immorality. Well, that's, a, that's our culture. Shoot, that's every culture. That's the first century. That's the 21st century. All right, for comfort is the enemy of progress and excess. Uh, okay, so Randy takes it. Sorry, uh, that sounds like the whole book of Job. You're suffering, Job. You must have done something bad. God is punishing, disciplining you for it. Repent. The, uh, the irony is Job did have something to repent of. He did. It wasn't what his three friends thought. But yeah, and the beauty of Job is, you know, he, he didn't get his family back so much. He got God back. It's kind of a cool thing. Uh, Daniel takes in for comfort is the enemy of progress and accessing leave, cause lives to regress. We can't slow down or rest for we need to do our very best. We have plenty of time to be comfortable once we finish our race. However, while we are running, we need to keep up the pace. That's a nice little rhyme there. Yeah, I, I mean, I got it. 
yeah, I'll get, I'll get there in just a minute with the next one here. But yeah, uh, boundaries, your effort, holy versus immoral. Who is immoral? Well, um, well, Esau, godless like Esau. And by the way, I, I, we, we, can't, we can't leave this alone here. Make every effort to be holy. Here's the only problem with making every effort to be holy. Because it says here, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you take that at face value, if you live your whole life making every effort to be holy, and that's it, and you don't add any context to that, if you just like, I'm just going to make every effort, I'm going to do everything, I'm going to obey God, I'm just going to go, 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 go. You know who you are? You're a Pharisee. That was their life. They were going to follow God's law. And they would be damned if they didn't, if you pardon me. But literally. Like they were going to follow God's law to follow God's law to follow God's law. They kept the letter of the law to the point they just totally neglected God behind the law. But by golly, they kept that law. They were going to pursue holiness as an end to itself. We don't do that. We pursue God. And that means we want to be like him. And we want to have his heart. And have that heart break at our own sin. And so the Pharisees and their quest for being holy were blind and ignorant at their own self. We can't be that. So we, I have to put that in there. Because you could read this and go, that's it. I found my mission for life. I'm going to be holy, 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 holy. No. No. The Pharisees were that way. They missed Jesus. That can't be you. What about godless? Godless like Esau. That godless word means profane. It means secular. It means materialistic. It's like at the end of Hebrews 11, when it was talking about the great ones, they said, the world was not worthy of them. And I remember asking, is the world worthy of you? How materialistic are you? How temporal are you? The things of this world, are they everything to you? What the world prioritizes, are those all of your priorities? I mean, for real? How secular are you? Joel, I'm in a Zoom Bible class. What are you talking about? I'm talking about your heart, kid. How secular are you? How profane are you? As in not holy. Deep inside your heart, you're going, you know what? I'll come to this class because maybe Joel will think better of me. Or I'll come to this class because maybe God will think better of me. Or maybe I'll think better of me. Or maybe I'll just grow a little bit closer to God. And it's all about me and other people's opinions of me. That could be you. Or maybe I'll do this and God will owe me one. That could be you. Maybe I go through this life and everything comes back to me. That's a very secular way to look at life. That's why Jesus says, you're going to follow up for him. You're going to deny yourself. Because that stupid self keeps getting in the way, doesn't it? So boom, what is it here? How, how secular are you? The yeah, but? Oh, the yeah, but's not going to care. He's like, yeah, whatever, dude. The weary, the weary is just going to go, oh, but what am I supposed to do? I know, I, I know I got issues. I know I struggle, but what am I going to do? I mean, I, I mean, come on. And the clay is going to go, you're right. 
Uh, yeah, I am pretty darn secular. When I really think about it, when I get deep, dig deep down into my heart, that actually is me. Shoot, that's me. If I dig down there, I bet there's corners where I'm like, yeah, I'm not holy at all. I'm secular. I, I care too much about people's opinion or whatever the issue is. That's godless. That's Esau. Esau was all about that stupid bowl of lentils. Then he gave up everything. And you can't go back in Esau's case. Everything was about the here and now, a materialistic world he lived in. That's what it means to be godless and secular. Esau. I know Jacob was a deceiver. We're not letting Jacob off the hook or none of that stuff. But the scripture doesn't talk about Jacob, does He's talking about Esau. Esau made that boneheaded move, and it didn't matter how much he cried. Jacob got the blessing. Holy versus immoral. Deep down inside of you, what are you? You've got to answer that question. I'm not answering it for you. You have to get down there. The part of you that nobody can see but you and God, what are you? Are you more secular than you like to think? Self and uh, maybe you saw there, yeah. How about some fear? I had a lot of fear when I ran my race. I cared too much about people's opinion of me. They were all pretty happy for me. You know, I was, I, I played nose tackle at 350 pounds. And uh, I mean, that's a nose tackle. I'm the biggest guy on the football field, the biggest, largest guy is always the nose tackle. The one that looks like he belongs at a buffet versus in the weight room, that's the nose tackle. All right. You like your nose tackles. You like them to be big and fat. I know that because you want your defense to stop the run. So you got to have the really big wide guy in the middle. I didn't say white. I said wide guy in the middle of the defense to make it so that nobody runs through. That's the nose tackle. The nose tackle lines up right on the center's nose. The one who hikes the ball to the quarterback, you're right there on his nose. That's why you're the nose tackle. Okay. You're right there with that center. All right. So you like your, you like your nose tackles to be big dudes. Okay. And yeah, you're probably thinking, be healthy guy. You probably ought to eat a salad every now and then, but while you're playing, I like you, I like you big. You do. And don't lie because you do. If you like football, you like your nose tackles huge. Okay. Nobody looked at me or like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, 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 you're running a 5K? You? Dude, all right. I mean, I got all kinds of accolades. They were just going crazy. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And I'm sitting there as I'm, I'm sitting in the, the ambulance going, oh, sir, we got to take you to, to the hospital. And we're just required by our code. We have to do this. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm going to finish this race. Meet me at the finish line. But I said, I have too many people depending on me finishing this race. I told that to the guy. Who's like taking my temperature and like mopping my brow and giving me something to drink? You know, you got to cool down. Or I'm like, no, I got people depending on me. I'm going to finish this race. Is he part of that as a fear of people and their opinions of me? Now, you should be thinking about that towards God, but think about this for a second here fear. I, fear drove my race. Fear of failure, fear of disappointing people. It wasn't huge, but it was there. Okay. I'll admit it. You don't like it when someone's preaching to you and they're the hero of all their stories. That gets annoying. No, I'm, I'm very rarely the hero. Okay, 18, 21. Let me make the screen come down here for a second. You want the screen to behave. All right, there we go. You have not come to a mountain. So this is like, he's gonna make a, like a rabbinical argument here. 
He's going to start off by saying, you have not come. And the next section is, you have come. Okay, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. Okay, So someone who is from a Jewish background is saying, okay, that's Mount Sinai. This is the giving of the law. Okay, Book of Exodus. Okay, This is what we're talking about here. Dangerous time where you don't come near that mountain. Okay, Burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches that mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. You see, coming before God when he's giving the law, it was such a, a terrifying fear. You're coming before a holy God. You recognize, holy moly, I'm not holy. Peter had that kind of a time with Jesus on one of those fishing boats. Jesus is right there, and Peter's like, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. When you come into contact with the holy, you're reminded that you are not. That's terrifying. Why was it terrifying? Sinai, the law and fear. Why was it terrifying? Because God was giving his covenant. His covenant was, you follow my word or else. This is it. All the law can do is reveal that you break it. It condemns, it damns, whatever you want to say. It hurts. It's terrifying when you got this guy up there, this God who's giving you this law, and you are so feared, afraid, even Moses is trembling. And it's like, I got to follow that God. I got to obey that God. My goodness. The author of Hebrews is saying that was then. And yes, it indeed was terrifying. But you have not come to that mountain. Daniel texted in, there are two driving factors. One is fear, the other is faith. I don't know about you, but I shall choose to follow faith. Amen. And some of us, that we, we, we follow out of fear. And we, we live this life out of fear. That fear is the driving, motivating factor. I don't want to go to hell, so I better do this. I don't want God to reject me or God to punish me. I don't want this, so I'm going to do that. And yeah, a healthy fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. But there's a larger point here that the author of Hebrews is making. That grand, terrifying experience was telling Israel, you're not to mess with this guy. Yes, he's a loving father who can deliver you from Egypt, from slavery. But you're not messing with this guy. It's like the whole Aslan thing. Yeah, he's, he's good, but he's still a lion. It's like you're not messing with a lion. I mean, you can't take advantage of a lion. There's no manipulating God. None of that stuff here, right? God is like terrifying with giving a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's biblical history. So the author of Hebrews is saying, wait a minute. So the terrifying reality of the holy. You have not come to this mountain. So where have we come? I think Sandy's texture is going to help because in the new covenant with Jesus, we can have a relationship with God that isn't based on fear or merit. Ooh, that's good merit. You know, like I deserve this Lord. No, you don't. It is based on grace and on Jesus exchanging his righteousness for our sin. Amen. So let's find out what, what he says here. This is um, 22 to 24. So you have not come verse 18. Now verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. You know, Jesus, the firstborn from the dead. Okay. First one resurrected. Okay. Whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. Oh no. 
Oh no, you just said I'm not going to be afraid. You just you just got done saying we're not going to be what are you talking about the judge? The judge freaks me out. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. But wait. The judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Ah, I'm coming to the judge. But I'm with Jesus, aren't I? Aren't you? Yeah. Our eyes are fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. We're running towards him. We are on Jesus's team, those of us who belong to him. And though we still face that almighty judge, and it sounds so terrifying, he looks at you and he sees his righteousness, not your unrighteousness. I can't, I'm not clean enough. I'm not clean enough. I can't come before God. I'm not clean. You're right, and you can't get clean enough. Just as Sandy pointed out there in her text, he imputed his righteousness to you and took upon himself your sin. So we stand before Almighty God with his righteousness. Wow. I'm not afraid anymore in a way in which I once was. That's not fearful like Mount Sinai anymore. It's still awestruck and terrifying in its own right to face Almighty God. And even as we talk, as other scriptures talk about having to give an account for all that you've done, that's shameful and terrifying in its own right. But Christ's righteousness. Mm. Who we are, what we share, what we are a part of. Yeah. Who are we? Well, we're part of, we're part of this, this church. We're part of this heavenly assembly where the angels are rejoicing. It's like uh, tens of th thousands upon thousands. Like the, wow, uh, the church of the first part of something here. Our names are written in heaven. This is huge. You've come to God, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. What? Well, we saw that in the last chapter, didn't we? Right around like verse 40, chapter 11. In fact, if it's exactly verse 40, that's pretty cool. That came to mind. All those were waiting for us to be made complete or perfect. There's something about being with us together that makes everything complete and perfect. That's the idea here. Together with us, all these saints who have already died in the faith, they're waiting for us to run our race. Then that number will be complete. then that number will be complete. Kind of cool. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. Daniel takes it in. For I am covered by the blood of the Lamb of God. My sin is paid for. I have no fear of death. Amen. Mick takes it. The single most oft-repeated in the Bible is fear not. In fact, the only time the Bible expects, expects fear from us is when it comes to God. When we see God rightly, Sandy text, our posture becomes one of kneeling, of worship, of humility. We don't cower in fear. We bow in reverence. So good thoughts here. Celebrate. Let me tell you what. When I finished my first 5K, they saw me lumbering in, okay, making strange animal noises. But at that point, you know, nobody, nobody at all was complaining, okay? Because they were just like, you know, they're seeing, they're seeing me. 
this large, you know, beast of a man finishing a 5K and doing so under duress. But by golly, I was finishing. They saw that and they had a couple things waiting for me. Three things, in fact. One was a chair. They had a folding chair right there. Oh, I love that chair. I, I would have kissed that chair. That was a man. Like, oh, yes. I sat down. And as I sat down, they got an ice pack and they put it back here on my neck and they started giving me waters. I don't remember much of those waters. They were just like goosh, goosh, like three gulps for a bottle or something, gone. And that was celebrating for me. And then I went and got some Chinese food. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was a good day. I did a 5K. I was celebrating. There was something to celebrate there. I celebrated immediately with, you know, bottles of water and, and, and a chair. Oh, the chair. And then I went and got some Chinese food. It was a really good, good day. I had some lo mein noodles. I really had a good time with those. So it was, it was, it was a good day. Uh, yeah, celebrate who we are, what we are, what we're a part of, what awaits us regarding our fear. Yeah. That fear is a good fear. We can't ever forget that our God is one that needs to be feared because we will naturally want to take advantage of God. We will naturally want to play that stupid game. We think we can manipulate God. We think we can do certain things and God's going to act a certain way. No, that, that can't be us. Knock it off. That, that's, no, don't even go there. What about a warning? 25 to 29. See to it then, or see to it, that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Those words also mean fear. We worship God with fear, but not like a cowering fear, like an exodus. This is a reverent fear, an appropriate fear. Awe. Don't use the word awesome unless you mean it. I use it far too much. Shame on me. Tacos are not awesome. God is awesome. Okay, I'm just saying. Reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Oh, snap. Wow. Our God's a consuming fire. God ain't messing around. Why would he? He had the Passover lamb's blood be shed so that that generation could survive. He had the Lamb of God, Jesus, his blood be shed so that you could survive. Why would we expect God to mess around? We don't play games with God. And if you are, time to change. We can't play those games. There's something about you that, needs, that you must not do. And there's something that you must do. What's the must not? Pay attention. Don't refuse him who speaks. And no, this is not talking about some great spiritual experience or the Holy Spirit acting today or anything like that. No, this is written in the first century while the Bible was still on the books and open as that he's speaking right here. 
God, the Holy Spirit, still speaks today, but he does so through his word. That's why we talked about the word being alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, cutting between joint and marrow. God's word is already on the books. It's already done. It, it works just fine. The Holy Spirit works and he convicts and he teaches through the pages of the Bible. We need nothing new. We need nothing extra. It's complete. It's done. It's sufficient. It's enough. So we must not reject the pages of the Bible. When you hear a preacher or a teacher, you just do a Bible study and you're convicted in your heart, pay attention. Don't reject. When you know there's things you need to do and know there's things you need to stop doing, pay attention. Don't reject. What, 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 what must we not do? Don't refuse him who speaks. God's not messing around. What must you do? Well, be thankful. Worship acceptably with reverence and awe. The yeah, but. The yeah, but um, is like Esau. Remember our three students, the, there's the yeah, but, the one that says, I know what I should do, but yeah, but I'm going to do something else. Okay, you might be the yeah, but. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here if you're the yeah, but. You need to be challenged. I spent far too much of my life as a yeah, but. Yeah, buts are hypocrites. Yeah, buts are, um, well, they're hypocrites. I know because I was one. The yeah, but is like Esau. I'm no different than the world. I'm basically the world. That's the yeah, but that's godless Esau. The worldly things matter the most. The weary. Oh, the yeah, but is also the Pharisee playing the game. I'm going to claim closeness with God, but not really God. My idea of God. I'm going to try to be holy so much as if it depends upon me. It's all about me. That's the Pharisee. At the deep core, that's the Pharisee. Only that kind of person would reject Jesus, who was God in the flesh, is God in the flesh, who's walking among them and doing things that only God could do. They would look at that and go, yeah, I want to kill him. What kind of idiot does that? who prays to God, who does everything for God. I'm God's guy. I'm God's guy. I'm God's guy. Here's God. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to reject that. And I, it, that, that gets on my power and that, that takes over my control. And that makes me feel bad that I'm not doing enough or blah, blah, whatever it is. I'm going to go kill that. The yeah, but is dangerous. You can't say the yeah, but. I'm just going to be bold enough to say, if you're the yeah, but, you're probably going to hell. I'm not your judge, but you don't belong to Christ if you're the yeah, but. And that means that you don't belong to Christ. So I'm just saying, I, I, I'm not your eternal judge. I'm, I'm just going to just call it as I see it. If you're the yeah, but, and you refuse to repent and stop being the yeah, but, I don't know what hope I can give you from the pages of God's word. The weary, this is like uh, you're fearful and um, you're, you're tired. I'm afraid of God. 
I'm afraid he's going to look at me and say that I was, I was worthless or I was faithless or that I didn't do enough. And so I think I want to stop thinking about that. And I just kind of want to forget about that. And I want to focus on other things. And I'm not going to go, yeah, but because I still have respect for God. I still want to honor God, but I'm just, I don't know what to do anymore. I need help. I need to kick in the pants of what I need, but I just, I need help. And I'm just really tired and I'm just really hurt right now. And life is hard. And when life gets hard, I don't know what to do. And I don't see God as disciplining me. I see God as hating me. I'm afraid of this God. I love this God. I worship this God, but I'm terrified of him. So I don't know what to do. That's the weary. There's hope for you. Hebrews 12 is your hope. There's things you need to start doing, according to Hebrews 12. The clay. The clay says, I'm a lump of clay that needs to be molded and made into something. And I'm not the potter. So God, who guess who's doing the molding and the making? You, God. So I'm on board. Let's go. What needs to stop? Okay, let's get on that. What needs to start? All right, let's go. The clay is ready. Are you? These are questions you got to ask as a student of Hebrews. We had this... My wife and I have been working a lot on our marriage, especially this COVID year. We were kind of looking at this road trip as an opportunity to see kind of how, how things are. We had a great trip. Okay. We, we've been operating by resets. So we kind of, we, we get in a little bad spot and then we reset. Okay. Look at this. We reset. We had a great trip where we're driving to the Ark Encounter. So we're driving, you know, you know, 40, 40 minutes to an hour, you know, deeper into Kentucky. And it was just a rotten morning. She and I were just not in a good mood with each other. The kids were acting up. We were just responding. And we were just, I, I could just tell this is going to be one of those days. Then all of a sudden, from the back seat, Julia, my daughter, vomited everywhere. We didn't bring a spare piece of clothing for her. So we stopped at the gas station. And I'm, I'm, I'm like getting out of the car left my son in the car you know jen takes her inside to the bathroom inside there trying to towel her off where whatever you do in that moment you know with the mommy and a daughter in a, in, a, in a gas station bathroom going for it but yeah um yeah so i'm out there with trying to you know get uh, it was, she had a banana that much it was all banana oh my gosh it's just banana everywhere all right mushy nasty so we we're just trying to scrub banana out of the car seat out of the seat everywhere horrible and and and, and nobody all the spots in all the gas station lanes you know, they got the little, little windshield wiper thing and the little, little napkins you wipe it off with. No napkins. Shame on you, Kentucky. Zero. I had to walk in there by like the hot dog spigot thing and try to grab some napkins off. They're like, I'm just going outside. You know, yeah. yeah. And I'm doing that. And so she gets done and okay, we got to go find a Walmart because there's no, she, she's totally saturated and everything. And we can't go spend a day in a museum walking around Noah's freaking ark, you know, with all this kind of, okay, what are we going to do? And so, yeah. So we, we go to Walmart, Jen goes in there. I'm with the kids and she's getting an outfit or whatnot. And, and meanwhile, I, I, Right before we get there, I'm outside and we're trying to get out of this gas station. But I did some stupid thing where I, I, le I left the keys inside the car and I went outside, rolled the window down, locked the doors because I went inside to get some napkins or whatnot. And I come back outside and I did something wrong. And all of a sudden, whoop, 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 and my car is going crazy. And I'm like, I'm literally holding keys in my hand for my own vehicle. 
but my car alarm is so on top of all this frustration and frustration and panic and all this kind of stuff and the car going crazy people looking around going, what in the world are you stealing in that car no it's my car i've got the keys i put the keys in there and it won't start we can't go anywhere because it just locks everything down nothing will start blah, blah blah can't go anywhere just sitting there going oh it keeps going off and i feel like a complete idiot and everyone's looking at me like what did you do i don't know finally everything dies down and finally, the car kind of resets itself. Whatever it does, I don't know. The little theft system, it started. Thank the Lord. I'm like trying to Google, like, what do you do with your own car? If your own car alarm goes off, that's an odd Google search. It started. We got on the road. We got some Walmart. Found a Walmart, by the way. We go for middle of Kentucky somewhere. Got an outfit. Got some snacks. Not bananas. Got on the road. Got going. By that time... You would have thought we were going to be like cats and dogs. No. It was a natural reset. We looked at each other. We just kind of laughed. Well, I'll be. We had a good day. Did not have a good morning. But it took a bunch of banana puke and car alarms. And, and yeah, and the, the car smelling horrible for like the next two days. But yeah, you need to reset with God. Most likely. You've gone too far down a path you've gone down. You know you need better. Hebrews 12 might have just kicked your butt today. What's going to be your moment? I'm just going to leave it there. Because something would have come up as I've been teaching today. Because God's word works that way. I don't work that way. God's word works that way. What must you do? What must you not do as you run your race? Next week, Hebrews 13. Thanks for letting me share.